I want you to turn to the book of Judges. Chapter 6. I've been going through a lot of the uh, Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament is all biography. Um, the New Testament is mostly biography of Jesus in the first four books, but the Old Testament is all about people. And, uh, you know, you learn a lot when you can re- hear somebody's life, how things went, how God treated them, how, how they got where they were, why they do what they do. When God wants something done on the earth, you know what He does? He gets someone to help Him. God never does anything on the earth without having help. When He wants to accomplish something, He works through people. God doesn't really need us. He can do anything He wants. But God has decided when He created us that we were going to be working with Him. He has a purpose for every person. We are to serve Him, and He wants what He wants. Whatever God wants, we're supposed to do. Now, there are some purposes that God has established for us to do, and Romans 13 will tell about different gifts. He gives you gifts and abilities, and we're going to look at a little bit of that. So, God needed to rescue His people. Once in a while, God needs to rescue you from something. Uh, sometimes he brings a Christian into your life to help with that. Uh, so God needed to do, accomplish some work. So he wanted to rescue his people, so he came to enlist a man called Gideon. God could do things. He doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. And uh, so Gideon, his servant, went to work for him to rescue people. And that's how God got his will done on earth. So, a lot of times, if you work for somebody, when they want something done, they ask you, right? God's the same way. We live for God. We work for God. He asks us to do things for Him. For ourselves, even. Moses, let's take this first guy, Moses. We're just going to look at him. Um, he was God's servant. He was called to rescue people out of Egypt. One man sent to rescue two million people. I don't, wouldn't want that job, no offense. Actually, Moses didn't want the job either. He tried to get out of it until God got angry with him and he decided he'd better go along with God. David, his servant, was called to lead Israel as a people. God could have freed the people without Moses. God could have run the nation without David. But that's not how God works. God uses people to accomplish His will in the universe and on this planet. God wants people to be saved. How does He do that? He uses us to talk to people about getting saved. God wants people to be secure, and He wants them to be loved. God uses us to love and take care of one another. Now, this is how God has set up the whole world. So, people need you. You might think, you know, nobody needs me. You don't know who needs you. There's always somebody that needs something. Maybe they need your money. If you have it, give it. Um, 
What they do with it is their problem. If they misuse it, that's up to them. Maybe somebody just needs someone to say, hey, you're looking good today. Some people need that. <laughs> they, they, just can't, they just need that little strength. So God uses people to take care of things in this world. He doesn't just do it himself. He doesn't need us, but he uses us because he wants us to learn some things. Now, Paul said in Romans, For I say, though the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So in other words, you don't think, I can't do anything for God or people, and you don't want to think, I can do everything. People need me. Both of those are wrong. For we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that has given to us, if prophecy, then prophesy in the proportion to your faith. If ministry, let us use our, in our ministry. If you teach, teach. If you exhort people, exhort. If you give, be liberal about it. And he who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. God has things for you to do in his church. People need you. A lot of times people think, I just go to church for me. Well, church isn't about me or you. It's about the people around us that need our help. There's not a person in this room that cannot help somebody else. There isn't a person in this room that other people need you. Uh, you might have a bad day and somebody comes up to you and brightens your day. Uh, you might have a bad day and somebody comes up to discourage your day. Your job is to help them brighten your day by encouraging them. God made it that way. Uh, so we're going to look at this man Gideon in Judges chapter 6. He was shy, he was fearful, and God asked him to do an impossible thing. Gideon was hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. Now, you don't do wheat in a wine press. Well, you are when you're hiding from people that are going to kill you or steal your stuff. Uh, he didn't want to get caught, so he hid. So while he's hiding, making uh, wheat to feed people, the angel of the Lord comes to him in Judges 6.11. And uh, he was sitting under a terebinth tree which was in Orpah, which belonged to Joash the Abirazite. And while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and said to him, now get it, the guy's hiding. And God's view of this man is this. The Lord says to him, you mighty man of valor. Okay. Who are you talking to? He's looking around. <laughs> Where is this guy? I'm hiding, making wheat. And God says that I am a mighty man of valor. First thing Chris, that Gideon does, he questions God, said he is with them. It didn't seem like God was with him. He's hiding. Where are you, God? So he says in verse 13, Gideon says to God, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? 
But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. So he wants to know, okay, if, what good is God? Where are you? So God says to him, then the Lord turned to him and he said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? He's hiding. God says, you have might. Do what I tell you. Now, Gideon didn't think he could accomplish the task. God's probably told you at times to, to talk to somebody. And you might say, eh, you know, I, you know what, what am I going to say? They're not going to listen. Uh, they might not like me when it's all done. And I might say it wrong. You give a lot, thousand reasons that we don't do what God says. Now, this was Gideon. Uh, he had to learn some things, and he's going to. Um, so Gideon now poses a problem. He poses his weakness and fear in the next verses. And he wants to know how can God use him. Have you ever thought about that? God put spirit, put something in your mind, you should go talk to somebody or help somebody, and you say, I don't know. How can I, you know, who, who am I? What do I know? They're smarter than I am. They're wiser than I am. They're bigger than I am. Uh, you can give a lot of excuses. But here's what he says to God. He said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? And here's his reasons. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. We don't have much going for us, God. I mean, you know the people around me. You know my father and my parents. And you know all the kids were the weakest. And I am... Our family's bad, but I'm the weakest of all of them. I can't accomplish anything. So, what am I going to do for you? And God was going to tell him. But I want you to think about that. Have you ever read a verse in the Bible that says you should do something, and then you just, I can't do that. I, I, I can't. God, you, you know better than to ask me to do this. God doesn't ask people that are that have it all together, God asks people that can do what he's asked them to do. God's not going to ask me to do something I can't do. He's not going to say, Jim, the mission over there in India needs a million dollars. You want to get it for him? Uh, God, I have not made a million dollars working since I was 13 years old. I don't think this is going to happen. Um, now, if God asked me to do something then, like that, then somebody was going to give me a million bucks. And it's going to happen. Um, but you have to be able to believe that God can do what he asks. And so he says to him, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least of everybody. There's no way this is going to happen. So God gives him the answer. Verse 16, God says, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Not a problem, God says. You can, what you have to understand, you know how big the Midian army was? 140,000 soldiers. I want you to think about that for a minute. It's 140,000 men you have to face. And uh, we'll take a look at how many men he can get together. It's an impossible task, wasn't it? I mean, God asked him to do something that looked impossible. 
There's probably been times in your life that God has asked you to stop something or do something and you th it was impossible. And you probably didn't do it then because you didn't see how it could work. Well, Gideon was that way. Um, so God says, hey, I'll be with you and you will defeat them, this 140,000 men army. God could do it without us. But he won't. This is one thing you want to learn from Gideon. God doesn't need us, but he will use us. And he wants to use us. He wants to use you to serve him and accomplish things for other people. Um, you've had people encourage you and, and make your day better, right? You've had people help you out of situations that you didn't think you could get out of. What anybody else can do, we can do. And if God asks us to do it, we can do it. So he encourages Gideon. Um, he didn't need Gideon. He could have destroyed the whole army himself. All God had to say is, he didn't have to say anything. He could have just thought it in his mind. You're all dead. And they'd all been dead. So if God wants to save the world and have people hear about him, he doesn't need us. He can do it himself. But he doesn't and he won't. We are the ones that God wants to do the work to accomplish His will in this world. So He encourages Gideon by giving him a sign. Um, now sometimes when people ask for a sign, God gets upset. Remember the, the Pharisees, they ask for a sign. God says, you ain't getting no sign. There's other times people ask for a sign and God willingly gives them. So don't be afraid to ask God. Let's say... One of the things that Gideon's going to do is he's going to ask God a sign because he wants to know, is it really God speaking to you? Have you ever thought about that when something comes into your mind? Is it me? Is it God? Or is it the devil? It can be one of those three. A thought can come into your mind. It can be from a lot of different places. So what he's asking for is not wrong. He's God. Is it really me you're talking to? He says, prove it to me. Not in a bad way, but I just need to know. See, every time you thought, any time that God's told you something and you weren't sure, did you ask God to make it plainer? Make it sure? Well, this is what he was asking for. Then he said to him in verse 17, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talks with me. I want to know. You're sending me out to destroy an army of 140,000 men. Uh, now, are you talking to me? Am I talking to me? Is the devil talking to me? Is some, what's going on in my life? And so God's going to show him. Do not depart from here, I pray, talking to God, until I come to you and bring out an offering and set it before you. And he said, I'll wait till you come back. So God, you know, God, God's not in a rush. So he says to him, he says, I'll, hit, just hit, I'll be here. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and an unleavened bread and an eve half of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put some broth in a pot and he brought it out to him under the terabith tree and presented it to them. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And then the angel of the Lord departed from his side. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay, he got scared. And uh, so Gideon made a memorial after that. The Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And it's still there to this day. Now God gave Gideon, Gideon what he needed to know. He wanted to, to know something. And God says, I'm going to take care of this here. I gave, I'll give you a sign, a proof. Now, you've probably heard, if you've been in church long enough, that it's sinful to ask for a sign. There are times in the Bible when people ask for a sign or proof, God to show them something, that God gets upset with them. God never once, and, and he's going to ask for more signs, with Gideon never once asked or sh showed any anger for asking for God to prove what he's asking him to do. And there are other people that God gave signs that they asked for, and God wasn't upset with them. So don't think of God that you think God wants you to do something. You ask him, well, God, can you show me what you mean? Can you show me how? Um, what's God looking at? He's looking at your heart. There's a difference between not being sure and not having faith. Not having faith says, I don't buy this. I ain't, I ain't going. Not being sure is a different thing. Now, if God asks you to take on an army of 140,000 people, are you going to be sure that you can handle that? No. You're going you're gonna to want some of God. Are you sure of this now? I, I have a, I have a six-shooter, <laughs> and I don't have anybody following me. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not going there. So, he gives Gideon a little test here. It came to pass in verse 25. The same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and second bull and seven-year-old lamb. Tear, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. And cut down the wooden image that is in, beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. That's what he was told to do. Now he's a timid guy to start with. So Gideon took ten men with him, in verse 27, his servants, and did as the Lord had said to him. Because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Okay, so he was afraid. He's not going to do this in broad daylight. Okay, God, I'll do what you want, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it out behind the barn somewhere so nobody sees what I'm doing. The Lord didn't say anything to him. He didn't scold him. He didn't get on his case about it. So he obeyed, but in fear. It's easy to obey God when you're positive and sure about everything. It takes greater courage to obey God in fear. You ever thought about it? You, you might think your fear is the sin. Your fear is not the sin. Your fear is just an emotion you have about the situation. What you do with that fear 
whether you give in or whether you okay, God, this is what you said, I'm going to do it. That's what God's looking for. He obeyed, but in fear. God didn't have a problem with that. The greatest strength is to obey. I can obey God when I'm confident. That's not hard. To obey God when you're afraid and unsure. That is great faith. And that's what he did. So the real power is when the weak show their strength. What's the result of his obedience? In verse 28, The men of the city rose early in the morning, and there was the altar of Baal. Somebody tore it down. The wooden image that was beside it was cut down. The second bowl was being offered on the altar which had been built. So it said to one another, Who did this? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that, we may, that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal. Now his father was a Baal worshiper too. And because he had cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let one who plead for him be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day he called him Zerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. Now, he did the right thing, and what happened to him was what he was afraid of. Remember, he didn't want to do it in the beginning because he was afraid. But he did it. And uh, he got caught doing it. And everybody was upset with him. They wanted to kill him. But God was behind the scenes working. He got turned in for doing a good deed. But he also got a new name. Um, sometimes you'll get new names when you do things. If you're a stingy person, what do people call you? Cheapskate. <laughs> we get names for things. Um, if you're uh, a foolish person, people let you know that, that person is just one foolish man. If you're a lazy person, people, uh, that person wouldn't do anything to take care of themselves. We always get names for doing things. So he got a name um, and, uh, for what he did. The Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east gathered together then after they heard this. And they crossed and camped by the Valley of Jezreel. 140,000 fighters. Now, God puts his spirit in Gideon. He's getting Gideon ready to fight. It takes the spirit of God. When God asks you to do something, you never go alone. Do you know that? I don't care what God asks you. You never go alone. The spirit of God lives in you. Where he asks what he wants, he's there. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. He sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, gathered them. And he sent men to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, all over the place to, to get people to come. And so the Spirit came upon him, he blew the trumpet, he was ready to go to war. Now, before the big battle with 140,000, God's going to make some changes. Uh, so, before God makes the changes, Gideon's going to waffle here a little bit. God gives Gideon assurance. 
that he's going to be victorious. Now, you ever started to do something for God and then, uh, weren't you, uh, did God really want this? Uh, is this really what God wants? And you, you question it, because you, you know it's going to be hard, you know there's going to be a problem with it, and you're, you're kind of backtracking. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and if there's dew on the fleece only, it's dry in the ground, then I will know that. He needed some extra assurance. You will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he rose early in the morning, the next morning, and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung dew out of the fleece. How much? Get this. So there's fleece on the ground. Is there dew on it? There's enough dew on it, the Bible says. When he wrung it out, it filled up a bowl. And God made that baby wet. This is what I told you, and I'm proving it to you. Okay, you would think that would be enough. One sign. You ever ask God for something like this? Show me a sign, God. And he did, but it wasn't good enough. You weren't still sure? Well, so Gideon did this. Now Gideon says to the Lord in verse 38, Don't be angry with me. Now don't be upset. Let me ask, just speak once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece and dew on the ground. Okay, let's just reverse this, God. Let, let, make sure it wasn't just a freak thing. And God did that night. It was dry on the fleece only, and there was dew on the ground. God gave him what he wanted. He wanted assurance. God gave him that assurance. God never got angry with him. God just got angry at other people who asked for signs. He never got angry with this man. He never scolded him. He never corrected him. He never said, well, you know, if you really had faith like you should, you wouldn't have done this. He didn't do that. He didn't say anything bad about his asking for help to make sure it was God talking to him and to make sure it's what God wanted him to do. God knows our heart. He knows whether it's out of unbelief or something else. He knows whether we really want to do it or we're really just looking for a way out. But God never got angry, never golded, never corrected him because he asked God, I really need some solid evidence here, Father. And God gave him what he asked for. You can go down into chapter 7 now. We're going to see something that has changed in this man. Then Jerubbabel, which is Gideon, that was his new name that he got, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them, a hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people you have with me are too many to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hands have saved me. God knew if they did it, they would take pride in them. You ever thought about when God has asked you to do something or God has done something through you, what's one of the biggest problems we face? We take credit for what God asks us to do. We say, you know, if other people are like me, everything would be better. What's that? That's taking credit for God using us. And uh, one of the prayers that you always want to be thinking of is when God uses you for anything, First thing out of your heart should be, God, please, 
Do not let me take credit or be proud of what you have done. Because pride is the most destructive thing in our lives. Once it enters, nobody likes us. And we don't like ourselves. Because it's never good for us. So, God knew that that's what would happen. So, therefore, in verse 3, he claimed in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. So out of 32,000 people, 22,000 left. Give him credit. You know how much credit, how much courage it takes if you're going to go to battle with somebody and they said the weak ones can leave and you leave? That takes, that takes credit to do that. Most people would just stick around and say, I'd really like to go, but it looks bad if I walk away. I look like a coward. But 22,000 walked away. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Well, we're talking about fighting an army of 140,000 men. You just got rid of 22,000 of your own. It's, getting, it's looking worse. Well, it's going to even look better, worse than that. So Gideon said, God said, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I'll test them there for you. Then it will be that of he whom I say to you, the one who shall go with you, the same shall go with you of whoever I say to you. This one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought them people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who happen to put their hand to their mouth was 300 men. The rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who have lapped, I will save you and deliver you. Now get the picture. It's hard to get this picture. 140,000 men. That's half of Santa Rosa all in one place. There are now 300 of you. It would have been easier to fight with 300,000, but there's only 300. And so God made it so nobody could take credit for it, so that nobody would get proud. So the people took provisions, and they did what God said. He whittled his army down to 300, and then God gave him one more sign, and he didn't ask. I mean, if we, if we could understand this, you're looking at 140,000 people. That you, that's all you see is people. And you look around. And there's 300 of you. And God says, "You're going to take them all." Okay, yeah, God's saying it, but I don't care. I mean, we're just a few people compared to them. You know, God never needs a lot of people to do something. He just needs somebody to obey Him. So it happened at that same night, the Lord said to him, Now, I'm going to show you something. You arise and go down to the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, because he knew that was Gideon's problem, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. 
Now the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east were, li were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number and the sand by seashore in multitude. And when Gideon came, there was a man telling a dream. I want you to picture this. I don't know how much acreage 140,000 men, camels, sheep, everything else takes. That's a lot of space. He goes down to the camp at just the right place to hear one man. You see how God's directing all of this? If, if, uh, if his camp of 140,000 went from Laytonville to Woolitz, what's the odds that you're going to stand in the right place and hear what you need to hear? Unless God was guiding. So, Gideon came. There was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned. The tent was collapsed. Then his companion answered, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. See, God had already arranged things. He already set things up. We never walk into something that God wants in darkness. We might be in darkness, but God knows what's going to happen and what's going on. We just have to follow him. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches beside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side and say, The sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now, just get the picture. Here's how we're going to fight the battle. We're going to take 300 here, 300 there, 300 there. We're, we're surrounded 140,000 men. So you're a long ways from that 300 each. So, you're going to blow a trumpet all at the same time and break your light so they can see the light all around you. He didn't say anything about swords, spears. He didn't say anything about sneaking into camp. I mean, if you're going to attack somebody that big, you'd like to sneak in, you know, kill a few at a time. You know, it's night. Um, but no, he wants to blow trumpets and let everybody know where they are. So he does. So Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And just as he had posted the watch, they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers they held in the torches in their left hands, trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and Gideon! And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. This is how God always works. He doesn't vary or deviate from this thing. How was they going to, were they going to defeat? They're going to blow trumpets. They're going to shout. Okay, we'll do that, God, but what's that going to accomplish? Then God steps in his part 
He turns every man in the enemy camp against each other and they kill each other. You see, when God asks us to do something, we have to make the steps. If He didn't blow the trumpet, if He didn't say the sword of the Lord agreed, greeting, if He didn't do His part, God wasn't going to do His part. God could have done His part without Him, but He doesn't work that way. So, let's say you know somebody that has a problem and God's put on your heart to help them. You might say to yourself, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I, I can't do anything, but God's asked you to do it. It's not just you that's going to do it. You're going to walk there with God, and God's going to give you what you need. You have to trust God. Every time God asks you to do something, everything the Bible says, you, we should be doing this. We need to realize we're not doing this alone. Gideon and the men didn't fight alone. They, they did their part. Then God stepped in and made it work. It's just like if you want to understand the Bible, you should be asking God, God, explain this to me. But you still have to study it. God's not just going to say, well, let's see. Um, let me dump it all down in, you know. You've got to read it, or you've got to hear it. You've got to consider it. Then God will make it open up. If God wants you to help somebody, you have to step out to help, and then He will make it effective. You see, people don't get helped or saved because you're so great or I'm so great. If you know somebody that's not a Christian and you want them to know Christ, what's the first thing you have to do? You have to talk to them. You can pray for them. But you still have to talk to him. That's how God has arranged things. Well, you might say, I, what if they ask me this? That's easy. You can either say you don't know, or you can say it's really not important right now. What's important first is you understand God, what he's like, what he wants for you. You don't have to have all the answers for anybody. If you have to have a lot of answers, then the odds are they don't really want to get saved anyway. Um, because they're just stalling answers. A lot of times, uh, I remember a friend I talked to, talked for a couple hours, talked to him about the Lord. And uh, he and his wife, and they told me, well, you know, I'd like to be a Christian, but I don't want to, I don't want to have to witness to anybody, so I, I'm not going to get saved. That was their reason. And uh, so I think we probably talked another hour. <laughs> Finally, they decided to trust the Lord. Changed their life. But what did God need? He just needed somebody to tell them what they, He knew. He didn't need me to tell them and answer every question because they asked all kinds of questions I didn't bother with. Because there's a point to make, and God lets you know what that point is. So, always remember that when God asks you to do something, He plans on being there with you. He plans on making it happen, but He will not do it without you. If you want your family to be loving, you can pray for that all you want, but God expects you to act lovingly. People learn love easier from someone who loves them than they do from somebody just talking about it. So, 
The Lord set every man's hand against his companion. The men of Israel gathered together, and, and then he went after them. And uh, they killed all of them. He won. God said, you're going to win. I, you, I know we can't. Yeah, let's take, what, what do we got here? One, two, three, four. They say, we got 20 people here. So, let's say God sends us out. You got 20 of it. And he says, I want you to witness to 500 people this next Saturday. We say to God, well, you, you know who you're talking to? <laughs> and God, do you even know what the people are like around us? They don't care. See, we, we're good at offering up reasons why God can't do something. And so God doesn't. God is waiting for people to do their part. The whole, you read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Everything that God wanted to accomplish, people had to be, Jesus had to be crucified. Somebody had to want him dead. People had to hate him. People had to want to hang him on a cross. God didn't do that himself. People do that. God always uses people for everything he does. You, let me, let me give you just a few short lessons off this story, and you can look later through the whole story. First of all, God can use anyone to get his will done. What did we read about Gideon? He was afraid. He was fearful. He was timid. He was hiding in a wine press so nobody would see him making grain. He was a coward. God didn't take a brave man to fight an army of 140,000, he took a weak man. So if God's putting something on your heart, or you read something in a word to do, just do it. Because don't, don't say to yourself, oh, I'm not good enough. Don't say to yourself, I'm not smart enough. Don't say to yourself, I don't know all the answers, because you don't. And you're not smart enough, and you're not good enough, because that's irrelevant. What you have is God. A message and God. That's all we need. So God can use anybody, any one of you, to do anything He wants done. You are not, there is nobody special in this group. Everybody has a gift from God. The gifts are different. And God will use them different, but you all have the gift. Secondly, God never asks you to serve Him in your own strength or ability. He gives you the Spirit. The Spirit strengthens you. And makes things happen. So God's not going to ask you to serve Him and then not give you any ability to do it. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. To make things happen. You can't. You ever try to convince somebody they're wrong? Does that go well usually? Eh, they just look at you and go, Nah, it's not. I, I, nah, 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 nah. I'm not wrong. Nah, I'm sorry. You're wrong. I'm not wrong. The Holy Spirit's the only one to convince somebody they're wrong. You can lay down all the arguments in the world, but the Spirit is the one who touches the heart, opens the eyes and the mind. Whether they yield to the Spirit or not is different, but the Spirit is the one that makes things happen. The third thing, realize that God has gifted us and given a specific purpose according to your giftedness. And you know that when you became a Christian, God gave you a gift. You know that? Do you know what your gift is? Romans chapter 13 talks about that. 1 Corinthians talks about that. 
Ephesians 4 talks about that. You read it, you can see what the different gifts. Why do you think I do what I do? I retired from here seven years ago. And uh, there was a reason I retired. So now what do I do? I preach at a church and where I am. I teach in a homeless place. And I come here once a month. I thought I retired. Well, I did. <laughs> there was a reason for it. My mind is really going. But this is who I am. Because this is the gift that God gave me. God did not make me an evangelist. God did not. There's people gotten saved under my ministry. That's not a problem. But when I preach, thousands don't come from all over the state to listen to Jim Roberts. They don't. Remember the guy that just had the baptism? Um, what's his name? Anyway, 4,500 people got baptized. They came from all over the world to be baptized. When I have a baptism, we get two or three that want to be baptized. <laughs> Thousands. God gave me a gift. I don't write books. I don't do pods, podcasts. I just read a guy the other day. He has the largest podcast in the world. 200,000 people a day look at his podcast. Young people. He's a Catholic priest. Some strange things go on in the world. I do what I do because this is my gift. No more, no less. There are people better than me. There are people worse than me. That's irrelevant. God gifts us each differently. Puts us in different places for different reasons. This is why I will do this till the day I die or till the day I forget who I am and what I'm doing. <laughs> That's getting to be more and more now. <clears throat> but I will do what I do because I can't do anything else. It's my gift from God. I will serve Him on the day He takes me home doing this. You have a gift from God. When you became a Christian, God gave every one of His children a gift. And He gave them the gifts, He said, to help one another in the church. He gave you a gift to do good to the people in the church. So coming to church isn't just for you. Um, I left, uh, when we came up here, I stopped first in Calpello to make sure they got everything straightened out. And I had to help the guy do his computer stuff. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's just like, well, I can't stay with you guys. I've got I to come up here. Why? Because God wanted me to. Mike could have found somebody else, I know. He found other people. But Mike wanted me to come up here, so I came up here because he asked. Because this is who I am. Who are you? What is it that you really like to do? I only know one man who was a prophet who hated being a prophet, and that was Jonah. Don't be Jonah. What do you like? What, what is there in service of God? Do you like to pray? There's a gift in prayer. Do you, do you like to help people? Do you see somebody... Uh, um, I had a couple little kids I knew from working in the homeless shelter the other day, walking down the street. It's 100 degrees. They're walking. They walk miles every day. And she was barely walking, and they finally sat down. She's, trying to, she's wearing dress shoes. So I turn around, pick them up, and says, Where are you guys going? We're going to, to plowshares for lunch. Okay, I'll take you. So 
So I took them down, dropped them off. I was two hours early to plowshares. That's why I'm sitting there going, eh, this isn't good. You guys need to choose, right? Yeah, okay, let's go to Costco. We'll go buy you some shoes. And uh, why do I do that? Because that's who I am. That's part of my gift. It's nothing about me. It's how God made me. Now, God made you. Maybe he made you that kind of person. You see somebody that needs something, and you stop your car and get out and help them. Maybe somebody needs something, and, and uh, just somebody to come and be with them. To, to say that, that uh, somebody cares about them. Maybe that's what uh, they need. And you're that person. That's your gift. That's what you should be doing. That's your purpose in life. Maybe God made you a leader. Made you an elder in a church. Or made you a treasurer in a church. Secretary. Not everybody can do that. We just got another treasurer at our church. God gives, I wasn't going to do it. I don't even take care of my own stuff. <laughs> I spend my money and there's anything left, that's all there is. I keep going on. You can't do that with church finances. You have to know what's there. And when I asked the other day, we gave a missionary $2,400. When I asked for $2,400, somebody has to tell me we either can or we can't. Because I don't know. So we all have a gift. Now in this church, this group, each one of you, God put you here and gave you an ability to help people in this church. All of you are needed. Maybe some of you can sing. I know, nobody has so far. But, maybe one of you really can sing. Because sometimes, my wife, when we're in church, she'll hear somebody. We have a lady that started coming to church and she got cancer and now she's got to do months of chemo. Evelyn says she has a beautiful voice. And I've been considering because I have to do the singing and my voice is going and I can't get through much. So I'm thinking, okay, Marilyn. Marilyn is the one. There are people in this group that have things that you need. Every one of you has something God gave you to serve somebody here. And God also gave you something to serve other people. How can God get his will done in this world without us? He doesn't and he can't. That's how it works. We can't just say, I'll let it go, God will take care of it. No. God uses people. If people need to be loved, if people need to be assured, if people need to be helped, he needs you. He needs me. He needs people. But he really doesn't. He just wants us to do that. It's important to him. It's how he set up the world. His will is to use us to serve him and get his will done. So when God wants something done, we're it. Go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Two commands. Love the Lord our God with what? All our heart, soul, and mind. God wants our love. That's your love. Each of you. And then he wants you to love each other. What does that mean? Very simple. It doesn't mean you even have to like each other theoretically. What it means is if somebody needs something and you know it, take care of it. Do something. Love is a sacrifice. But I don't have time. Everybody has time. You know what? You all have time for what you want for yourself or your friends or your family. You always do have time.
Nobody's that busy. I don't care how busy you think you are. Nobody's that busy. God needs you to do work for Him. And it's like some of you can talk to a person, one person, and they'll listen to you. And you can talk to 20 people and they won't. But there's another person in the congregation, they could talk to that person and they'll listen to them. Because we all like the different people, don't we? You meet somebody and you, you instantly like that person and you're instantly willing to learn from them. So keep in mind Gideon. You aren't Gideon, but if you're fearful, you could be. But you are this. You are God's servant. And he has a job for you in Laytonville or Willits, wherever you live. And he has a job for you in this church for each other. Just the way it is. So I, I want you to realize you are important to one another. Father, we thank you for Gideon. You didn't pick a man, Lord, that had it all together. You didn't pick a man, Lord, that was greatly gifted. You picked a man, Lord, who you wanted to do something for you. And he, Lord, was willing to do for you what you asked. And even though, Lord, he wasn't sure about it at times, you always brought him along. And in the end, Father, when he looked back on his life, he would say, Thank you, Lord, for choosing me to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for making me a person who likes to pray. Thank you, Lord, for making me a person who likes to help people in need. Thank you, Lord, for making a person who can make money and bless other people with finances and with things they can't get and do. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the ability to answer people's questions. You gave me a good mind, Lord. And all the things that we have, and we all have something, God has given us to serve Him. So we ask, Father, that your people would have just that heart. They just would want to do something for you. Something, Father, that you have put in their heart. Something, Father, that you have showed them in the Word. Rise them, raise them up. Use them to, to help others. And to bring others into your kingdom in this town, in this area. In Jesus' name, amen.